Thanks for tuning in to Story Living, where we learn from inspiring leaders and their stories. I'm Jack, founder of Light Adventures, a certified coaching firm on a mission to illuminate people through storytelling. For this episode's story, we're going to learn from Tim Tully, CTO at Splunk, who's had a compelling story of how he arrived there, and in particular, going to focus on how to attract and retain top talent. So let's flip to the first digital page of this story and dive in. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining today. How you doing? Hey, Jack. Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining. And where are you joining from? I'm in Menlo Park, California, right smack dab in Silicon Valley near Palo Alto and Stanford University. Wonderful. So not too far from where you grew up and would love to jump into early days living in the Valley and what that was like for you, especially with how it spe- uh, sparked your interest in tech. I think you're parents were programmers. You might've even been coding around age six. So maybe share a little bit about that experience and you know, how it led to where you are today. Yeah, I grew up in a city called Fremont, which is right across the bay from where I live now in Menlo Park. In fact, the bridge just connects the two cities. Um, yeah, I grew up in the Valley, which is sort of unique for a lot of folks in the Valley. I think most folks are transplants from around the world or, or the US uh, at a minimum. And um, but I'm different. My parents uh, were programmers at a naval air station in Alameda, which is right near Oakland. Um, so I sort of grew up around computers. Um, you know, there was like punch cards lying around my house when I was a little kid. And I didn't really know what they were at the time. But, you know, you had these very sort of lucid, vivid memories of seeing them around. And, um, you know, naturally, I grew up with, you know, Commodore 64 and an Apple II. And my parents got me going on the Apple II pretty early. Um, you know, they, they sort of just dumped the manuals and all the discs in the living room at the computer. And I picked them up and, and started reading them. And um, one thing led to another. And before you knew it, I was trying to crack Apple II games or trying to write my own sort of, sort of simple games. Um, yeah, I've, I've been coding for a while. Um, so yeah, the legend around starting at six is true, but I did the same to my son. So he, he can tell that story himself later. Nice, pass on the legacy. Uh, so it sounds like that interest grew and I think you landed at eventually UC Davis as well as in a master's at Carnegie Mellon. And so I'm curious around your thoughts of secondary education and then, you know, really um, from your personal experience, how that comes into finding and hiring talent these days as a leader? Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting topic. There's sort of this debate going on, at least in the tech community around how important some of the degrees are. Um, you know, I'll just share with you my perspective you know, a lot of what you learn in college is not necessarily, you know, computer science for computer science sake. It's more the experiences and, and learning how to be an adult and learning how to work on teams. And I think it, as long as you can get that, it doesn't necessarily matter that you, like I said, necessarily have that college degree per se. Um, for me, it's the experience. And if, if you can glean that from other places and, and be an amazing programmer, then, then great. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm proud of those schools. I learned a lot, had a lot of fun going to them. And um, I had the degree somewhere in the house. I don't know where they are. I can't say they're on the wall or I stare at them all the time. Um, in terms of how we hire, um, you know, maybe contrary to what I just said, we still do very much recruit from the top schools, right? You know, we're, we have college recruiting at all the top CS universities, not just in the U.S., but around the world and also in Canada and um you know, we want to have the best engineers we can. And there's just um, sort of empirical evidence that we've shown that some of the higher performing engineers have come from better schools, but there's obviously 
uh, counter examples to that. And um, I'm proud, I'm proud of both. So nice. Good to hear. Yeah, definitely a balance. And especially with how things are even changing these days um, with the education system. So, you know, coming out of college, I think you eventually landed up at Sun Microsystems. Sound like that was a great opportunity. So maybe share what, you know, was so great about working there early on. And then a little bit of also um, how you ensure a quality onboarding experience when you're bringing on new hires, because it's such a key aspect to them staying on long-term. Yeah. So um, Sun was really interesting. You know, I, I joined um, right sort of like the mid, mid to late nineties, like 96, 97 working on, on Java, which was obviously a brand new language at the time. And I think nobody really knew what we were, you know, at the, at the, on the cusp of, in terms of what mag, what impact it would have on the world. I mean, we knew we were creating something pretty unique and the, the mantra was write once, run everywhere. And that was sort of the, the selling point on Java, but we didn't know it was gonna sort of take off in the, in the way it did and um, sort of get accelerated through enterprise applications and big data and all the ways that it's, it's been used over time. And um, it, was, it was such a unique experience because it was like high .com timeframe where, you know, there was, sign-ons with BMWs and books and free Gatorades and all these things just sort of flowing around. And it was just such a sort of wild, wild west time to be in the Valley. Um, but it was, it was a unique company that had just amazingly brilliant people. I mean, I, I think I honestly learned more working with folks at Sun than I did in school. Um, mm -hmm. It's just real world practical knowledge on hardcore computer science problems on big Unix machines. It's just so sexy and exciting, um, at least for me. So I, I, I love it and um, have only very, very positive things to say about my time at, at Sun Microsystems. Awesome. And then, you know, a little bit tied to that, how do you think of the onboarding experience, you know, whether it was yours at Sun or elsewhere and the importance of, you know, how you see it today with bringing on this top talent, uh, making sure they have a really good quality experience to start out? Yeah, you know, Onboarding experiences at companies sort of varies from company to company. Um, you know, I would say for the most part, my onboarding experiences have been really great from an HR perspective and helping you learn where the restroom is and, you know, how to get your paycheck and all. I mean, all those are sort of like brass tacks kinds of things. That's always been really great. Um, maybe my experience is unique, but I, I feel like, you know, a lot of teams that I've joined, I've sort of just been thrown into the deep end very, very quickly. And in a lot of ways, I think that's very helpful. I think it really forces you and it wakes you up and, and helps you learn how to, maybe survive is the wrong word, but just to learn how to figure out how to operate and to learn the business and learn what the problems are. Um, there's, there's ways that are, that are different and I'm sure they work for different cultures. Um, at, at Splunk, um, I think we, we do a really great job. Um, it's a sort of well-crafted experience. We have you know, engineering boot camps and such and we really help people learn um, not just obviously about the source code and where the restroom is, but you know, who the key leaders are, who to, who to meet, who to have lunch with. Um, we try to develop a little bit of a mentoring system for you to learn, um, you know, learn more about the business. And, uh, you know, I, I think, but I, I'll go back to what I was just saying. I do like the idea of throwing people in the deep end, quite honestly. I, I know it's a little bit of shock and awe for folks that might be listening, but um, I really think it's the fastest way to onboard yourself to be honest. 
Yeah, definitely. It sounds like a bit of a balance, right? Provide some resources, some level of comfort, but then also a little bit of that initiation and, and have them figure it out on their own because probably be a lot faster uh, than spending all that time on extra boot camp. So um, appreciate hearing that. And so from Sun, a couple other tech advising experiences, and then eventually made your way to Yahoo, where we had the opportunity to partner together under Marissa. And so, you know, ultimately spent about 14 years there, which is pretty rare in the Valley. Um, so I'm curious around your loyalty and really what kept you there for so long um, and maybe anything you take today as far as retention, right? As a leader, because people are just hopping from one place to the next these days. So how do you think about retention um, in particular in your relationship to your experience at Yahoo? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, Yahoo was a really great company. Um, you know, it was obviously a pioneer in the, in the internet and um, it developed a really sort of irreverent, brash, um, sort of wacky culture that made employees really love it. And there's this sort of phrase that I'm sure you remember, bleeding purple, right? Which was like, you bleed Yahoo and it's like in your blood and- Still it, a little know, bit today, still a little yeah. bit today. And, you know, I, I was there for a long time, you're right. And I think in the Valley, it's, you know, people in the Valley, that's sort of a head scratcher for people compared to maybe say big, you know, big jobs on the East Coast or something. And I think you're used to seeing shorter tenures, four five, six years, and then you sort of move on and on. Um, but, you know, my experience at AI was pretty unique in the sense that I was always sort of growing in different ways, right? Whether it was an engineer as an IC, um, going from, you know, staff level engineer to architect or chief architect of different things. Um, to hopping over to the management side and growing and growing from the management side. And so, you know, I always felt, felt challenged, um, whether it was from a personal standpoint or a business standpoint. And I always felt like I was growing and I was supported. And I think as long as you have that, it's hard to ask for, for more. And so, although sure, I had many opportunities along the way to join a lot of different things, you know, my, what I would always tell myself is, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side and the shit's just in different places. And you, you know, leaving a company is not always the best solution for growth or for, for making yourself feel better about what's going on. Um, and I, and I always felt supported and, and challenged, like I said, and so I felt like there was no reason to leave. Good. Yeah. I mean, if that support is there and you're being challenged, take things to the next level. And so are those some of the tactics you use today as well to keep your top talent around or is there anything else that you try to employ? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's a great question. I, I, I think I try to leverage my own experience and learnings from Yahoo and try to provide that same kind of experience for people in my team. Like mm -hmm. at Splunk, we're obviously trying to solve very hard scaling, big data challenges. I'm trying to grow the business in different ways in different sectors and, um, you know, I think that attracts some of the best talents in the world and we try to nurture and grow that talent. And I'm a strong believer in meritorious sort of awards and promotions and, and comp adjustments to reward people who take on these challenges and perform and rise to the occasion. And, and I, think, I think it's a really good way to motivate teams and attract people who want to exceed. Hmm. Nice. So I'm curious uh, from a storytelling standpoint, reflecting back on those 14 years, um, a particular moment that maybe stood out as far as some real pride, uh, a team accomplishment, maybe, you know, some all-nighters in a war room. Um, does any particular memory stand out to you as far as like a proud moment? And then, you know, what was your role in, in enabling or empowering that to happen? You know, that's a great question. And by the way, this is all not, not scripted and I haven't seen all the questions. So this is totally like off the cuff. Um, 
You know, I'll give you a sort of an answer that you might not expect. Um, you know, one thing that I'll sort of never forget was after Hurricane Katrina, I think it was like 2005, I'll say, 2006, somewhere in there. Um, that's when this huge hurricane came in and devastated Houston and New Orleans and all these things. And um, a bunch of us, a bunch of key engineers, including myself and David Philo, who's one of the co-founders of Yahoo, we all flew down to Houston where all the displaced residents of New Orleans were evacuated to. And they all were in the Houston Astrodome. And I mean, it's, it's just like this thing I'll never forget was like 20,000 people almost like sleeping on cots on the infield and outfield of the Houston Astrodome mm. with nowhere to go. And the, it was just completely inundated with emergency personnel and people who got displaced. And, you know, the Astrodome at that point, I think, had already been closed for real usage and the bathrooms weren't working and everything was sort of broken. And we were there as Yahoo trying to build software on the fly to, to basically help these people get online, um, mm. get connection and find their relatives, basically build like a real-time emergency classified system so that they could find um, where they could relocate to and, you know, how to get a hold of uncles and aunts and, and how to, how to connect. Cause you know, this is before your iPhone or your smartphone. So you just, you didn't have Google maps on your phone or anything like that. And so we set up all this infrastructure on the fly on, in the order of like five days um, at the Astrodome inside and also in the parking lot. And yeah, it's not a, you know, an amazing Yahoo product win. You know, we had many of those, but this is sort of different and, it's just one of those experiences where you do something for, for the people of the country and for, you know, maybe humanity um, mm. that you just, you don't forget. And I was able to apply technology in a way that I, I probably hadn't imagined. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. That's an amazing story and definitely a special shout out to Philo. Um, you know, what an amazing leader he was. And so speaking to that, I'm curious of, you know, then your leadership style and I know you have a real heart for your people. You mentioned, you know, promotions and awarding them. Uh, what else is unique about your leadership style? You know, I, th I think in my relative old age, I guess I'm not that old, but I feel like sort of an old soul in a lot of ways. I, I think what, if you do it long enough, you sort of figure out over time that everything you do comes down to people. And if you don't just really focus on understanding what people care about, um, what motivates them, what they need to be successful, how to help them, how to grow them, how to nurture them, um, then you're just, you're not gonna succeed and you're ultimately gonna fail uh, as a leader and your, your business is probably not gonna do well. And so um, it, it takes a while to get there. And you know, I think I've had some great managers in the past that I've been able to sort of pick and choose different things from. And I sort of arrived at this place where I figured out that you have to really lead from an approach or from a perspective of, of high empathy as, as much as possible. And so, I spend much more time than I probably would have ever, ever imagined um, thinking about the people, right? You know, I'm not sitting around coding all day, like, you know, I probably would have guessed 20 years ago or, you know, trying to build the most sophisticated AI system. That's how I always had thought about tech. It's mostly about putting people in positions to succeed and supporting them and, mm -hmm. and, and like I said, nurturing them. And it, it takes a while to get there. And I, I think, um, I think that approach works well at Splunk because we have really good retention rates on employees. Um, we have pretty good promotion rates. We're able to attract folks from some of the top 
top universities and, and top other, other uh, companies. And, um, you know, it sort of rubs off on folks and it, it can sort of snowball and cascade within an organization. And I, I think that approach is the right one. Um, incidentally, you know, also having kids sort of changes your perspective and helps you from a manager perspective because you, you learn to start to care about other folks and yourself a lot more than you, than you had in the past. And so um, I know you're having, I think you're having kids soon as well. And uh, I'd be surprised if, you know, I didn't check in with you in five years and you felt the same exact way. Yes, I have a feeling in the next five years, my heart is going to soften quite a bit and love what you're bringing up around that empathy, just a sense of patience with people and meeting them where they're at um, and, and doing it with people, you know, that are really top talent, as you're mentioning um, with Splunk. So I'm curious, any other strategies uh, as far as recruiting, right, and attracting that top talent? I think you mentioned this idea of talent magnets, um, but, you know, you, you shared some ideas around the educational side. What else? Are some techniques that you bring in to make sure you're bringing in that top talent? Yeah, I mean, I try to keep it pretty simple. Um, one is, you know, everyone knows this rule. I think A players attract other A players. Yep. And so you, know, you just have to have a good feeling for what the pivotal roles are within your organization, where you have to have these really key talent magnets in the team to help surround themselves and yourself with, with more A players. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I've done a, a pretty good job figuring out who those folks are. And, you know, I'm thankful that some of these guys have sort of joined me across different companies. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely true. You know, if, if anyone's listening and they want to take away one or two key tidbits, I would just constantly remind yourselves that A players attract other A players. It, it never fails. Um, the other key thing I think is really important is being able to paint a very crisp picture and vision of what you're trying to do because Solving hard problems um, with key technical challenges, hard scale challenges, you know, a, a vision around what you want to do is what really excites product and engineering people and designers. Mm -hmm. And the clearer you can be about it and the more crisp and the more articulate you can be about how you're going to get there and how excited you are about what you're trying to solve, um, that's what really gets people in the door. And so I, I, think, I think I've sort of figured out how to do that pretty well. Um, incidentally, I think it helps me be a good software salesperson um, at the same time. But um, I, I think it, engineers like to know what problems they're solving because engineers get us, they get, they get motivated by puzzles, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can just be really clear about what that is, you're going to be able to attract really good engineers. Wonderful point. Yeah. And especially um, tying to just that sense of purpose and um, you know, some interesting thoughts and research around autonomy, right? And, and giving that to top talent to ensure they have, you know, set up for success. Um, yeah, that's a good point. We, we do that, I think, fairly well um, also. Um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of like loosely define some class of machine learning concepts that I think we should be tackling and then sort of pose it to some top folks. And, you know, when you can leave things semi-open-ended in the way that you just described, I think top folks really, really enjoy those types of puzzles and, and problems. Yep. And then when they join, you just throw them in the diet to the deep end, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I know it sounds sort of crude in some ways, but it, it works. Um, oh, I'm sure they love it. Yeah, it does because it also signals trust. Like I'm yeah. not going to just hold your hand every time you want to cross the street. It's like, Hey, look, I hired you for a reason. You're the top candidate. I trust you. It, it's, it's a signal of trust and belief as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, I think Marissa shared the quote one time that people don't want to be managed, they want to be led. So when you just, as you said, give a little bit of vagary, but allow them to take it on their own and that trust is, is huge. Yeah, no, I think Marissa, Marissa hit the nail on the head with that one. And I have something sort of similar to that, which is I always try to hire people that I think are smarter than me. Like my, my goal is not to be the smartest person in the room. Like I've always sort of told myself, if I'm the smartest person in the room, then I'm probably not doing it right. Because, mm. you know, first of all, I'm not going to learn. And there's no way I, realistically, I probably shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of advantages to that, right? It's, it's going to build a better team. I'm going to learn from them. Um, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, the team will be in good hands. Um, and I, I think it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of concept that um, took me a while to get to. I think, but it's part of that sort of maturity and part of that empathy curve that, that I was talking about a, a while back. Um, yeah, so definitely. definitely a top tip for me. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So in that same vein, uh, you shared a proud moment, but one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, Tim, was because you're just a very humble guy. Um, so maybe actually now reflecting back over the years, uh, was there an instance of just failing flat, just totally bombed a situation, uh, and maybe a little bit of how you learned from that? Yeah. Um, I had this project at Sun. I mean, I, I also interned there for a while as well. So I, I must have been around 20, I'd say, when this happened. Um, but I had this, this project where at, at the end of the quarter, I had to do this readout on sort of the outcome of what I was working on. And um, this had something to do with Mozilla, which was the open source Netscape browser, because we were sort of partnering with them. And um, when I gave the readout to in the presentation to my boss at the time and, you know, his managers, his manager and his manager's manager and so on and so forth. It was like very clear to me about five minutes in that I had not at all addressed the problem <laughs> um, as they had thought it was uh, and just went off and solved something totally orthogonal that didn't hit the mark at all. I mean, if they were going to give me a, a grade, it's probably F. Um, and that's pretty much the worst feeling in the world. It's like, you know, getting on, on Broadway and forgetting all of your lines. Yeah. It's just like total fail. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like this instance that I just, I'll never forget. It's like this, one of these feelings that you just, you feel like you never want to experience again. And it was just so humbling. I mean, <laughs> at the time I was like, oh, I'm this badass engineer and look at me, I'm working at Sun. I'm like 19 or 20 years old. And I'm slinging C++ all over the place. Like <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, some crazy billionaire one day, which still is not going to happen. Um, but you know, that kind of humbling experience can also be a motivator and it motivates you in the sense that you realize that you never want to repeat it or experience it again. And so it, it taught me that lesson. I think it also really taught me to not just jump into problems and try to solve them with technology immediately without fully understanding the problem I'm trying to solve. Mm. Um, so it was just, uh, yeah, I don't know, man, even to this day, it just makes I'm already getting sweaty right now just talking about it. So <laughs> well, let's let's shift topics here. Um, but I appreciate you sharing because it's a good point, right? And especially a valuable lesson. And sometimes you have to go through those and seeming uh, see them as a learning opportunity and what you can take from it, and and maybe have to you know avoid it in the future. So um, along those same lines of learning and personal development, um, how do you seek that? I think you have some particular views around role models. Uh, I know you have a, a good sense of mentoring at Splunk, but um, anything around personal development that has been helpful for you? And if you are open to it, you know, maybe even a book shout out that's been impactful. 
Oh, wow. Um, yeah, let me write down the book shut up before I forget. Um, you know, learning for me, I, again, this is just Tim speaking. I, I don't know if this works for everybody, but um, I think my, my learning mostly comes from the fact that I think I'm just a nerd at heart. Um, I just love coding. I love technology. Um, I love sort of pushing the boundaries. And so I just, I still love coding every day recreationally. I have this concept of recreational programming um, just for fun because I like to learn new stuff and I, I like to know what's going on. And so that obviously helps me in my job and I can be conversant on a variety of things. And um, it's just, it's a passion more than anything. It, it's not like I sit down and say, oh, you know, my job is to be CTO of this company. And so I should probably read a book on this or that so I can stay current. It, it's more like, oh, I, I like technology in the same way I like the 49ers. Like I like to watch football on TV, but I also like to read books about new programming languages or the latest on Docker container tech or whatever it is. Like it's just, it's hobby, it's, it's fun. And so I, I think I'm fortunate in that way because tech for me in a lot of ways is more passion than it is a, a job. Um, I hope a lot of people out there listening can feel that as well because it, it sure makes life easier. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, there's a lot of people out there who I think um, for them, tech is more of a job and um, working to live rather than, or living to work. I don't, I don't know which one it is for them, but I, I think of it as um, it's, 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 it's passion more than anything mm -hmm. else. And so I'm just, I'm able to feel it with that. Um, so from a book perspective, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a book shout out. Maybe I'll give you a, a couple of book shout outs. Um, yeah. My favorite book of all time, this is gonna sound terrible, is the Bjorn Sturstrup C++ like reference manual going back to like late 80s, early 90s. I mean, that's just like this book that I've read so many times. And it's, it's just like the super pedantic description of a programming language that doesn't sound particularly enjoyable. It's more like a reference manual, but it's like reading the dictionary almost. But I just really love that book. I mean, maybe that's more of an expression of how much a nerd I, of a nerd I am, but I just, I've read it so many times. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it excites me. Um, the other book that I would give a shout out to is, I'm a huge fan of this guy named David Foster Wallace. I don't know if you know him as an author. author. He wrote this book called Infinite Jest, which I read probably once every five years or so. It's a really hard, dense read of like a thousand pages with like a hundred pages of footnotes or something. But basically it's a commentary on society. And I, I really, at the time, and a commentary on postmodernism. And I, I really enjoy sort of mixing it up with a little bit of intellectual challenge. And he, the way he writes is just full of so many sort of like pointer dereferences, I guess for the technical people out there that like really force you to think hard about what the content is there in different ways than say a hard technical problem was is it sort of like flexes your brain in, in ways that you're probably not used to from a analytical perspective on a daily basis and so i just i really enjoy that that writing style that he has and the way that it, it challenges my mind to to think um and, and the book is so hard to follow it's just like this massive like fractal of, of different stories happening in parallel and it's very meta and it's, it's um i can almost forget the entirety of the story if I don't rewrite it every five years, uh, reread it every five years. So um, definitely recommend that one. Awesome. 
and love that it has a little bit different twist on it. Sounds like it's, you know, big on bettering society or understanding society. Um, yeah, the whole book is about this movie that becomes so popular that people basically become addicted to it and they can't stop watching it. And they, they pop it into the VCR and they just watch it continuously and the addiction to this movie. That's, that's like the best way to describe it. And there's just, it's the story is sort of told from different angles of different people across the US and it's just, it's really fascinating. I, I highly recommend it if, if folks haven't read it. Wonderful, good shout out. And um, you know, especially in these times of a little bit of isolation, a lot of uh, Netflix and all that going on these days. So um, I'm curious how you're engaging, you know, your people with a lot of work from home. I think you shared some tactics around puzzles and frequent communication, which is so key to building culture. Uh, and you know, we're personally big fans of that at Light Up Ventures as far as the collaboration element. So I'm curious, you know, how you bring that in and, and really supporting your teams with, you know, engagement and keeping them motivated. Yeah, I mean, as you said, due to COVID, it's sort of hard to have as many touch points with the team as you want. Um, and so, you know, on one hand, you can sort of do all these all hands all the time, which, you know, we did at Yahoo, um, which I, I certainly still do, but I thought, hey, here's an opportunity to do things different and, um, and try to make it slightly more interesting. And maybe I can throw some programming into it as well. So um, what I did was created this, this weekly, maybe by, uh, twice a month, uh, series for my team where I, I film a video. And so I filmed this video in my office and it, it's full of like um, content about the org and updates and things that are happening um, across the organization and wins and, you know, promotions and things like that. Um, but I also started to put puzzles into it as well. And the puzzles are mostly coding challenges or, you know, I wrote a first person shooter in Unity um, and the puzzles or like coding challenges that wind up asking you questions about the content you just watched. Hmm. And if, if you answer the puzzle, then I send out like Amazon gift cards to the first handful of folks who solve it. And really it solves a couple things, I guess. One is, is it sort of excites people to watch the content. Two, it forces them to watch the content and actually not fast forward around. Cause you know, I'll do things like hide a Dropbox URL you know, and show it for like a hundred milliseconds at, you know, minute 13 in the video. And like, it forces you to watch it frame by frame ah. in, some, in some ways. Um, but it also makes you like actually understand what happened. Cause I'll say, you know, when did Joe Blow think that COVID was going to end? Right. So you have to sort of listen in and, and figure out what, what he said. But, um, and then the last is also, I think the, the engineers and the team really appreciate the fact that I'm carving out personal time to do sort of other techie geeky things for them. Mm. And it's a sort of connective tissue that not just shows that sort of, I still have some street cred from a technical perspective. I'm not just, you know, some exec in a suit or something, but also like I'm trying to do things to that they enjoy. I'm creating things and, and puzzles for them that they enjoy when, you know, everything is not always about business and work all the time. And it's like, Hey, here's some puzzles that you can work on on the weekend that, maybe we'll flex some understanding of coding or technology that maybe you don't get exposed to every day. Like one thing I had was um, I wrote this Android app for folks where they had to answer some questions. And in the end they had to sort of create this touch, uh, touch gesture on the screen, which wound up being our company's logo. But you had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what that was going to be, or the fact that it was even a touch, touch gesture. And the reason I mostly did that was because 95, 99% of the engineer, engineers in Splunk don't have to think about Android because you know we're a big data company. And so it's like, oh, here's, here's a bunch of Android stuff. 
mm-hmm. you're, you know, to solve this puzzle, you're going to have to go download, download Android Studio and play around and figure out how to install it on an emulator or a device. And it's, it's just like, it's an opportunity for the engineers to, to think about something else for a little bit. And I think they really like it. Um, so I published this video series and um, lets me play around with editing soft, nonlinear, nonlinear uh, editing software and create really beautiful 4K 60 frame per second videos. And um, yeah, I enjoy it. And I think the team enjoys the, the touch points and the communication. Yeah, those high touch points and sounds even like a little bit of fun for them on the side too, meeting them where they're at. And um, again, going back to what you shared, that empathy is so crucial right now in these times where people are struggling a little bit. So um, you also mentioned, you know, a little bit on the geeky technical side and you find time to code still. I know you find time to game with your kids too. Um, So in this vein of tech and as we're wrapping up the episode here, I'm curious from a sense of, you know, for the good of humanity, which you you mentioned a little bit as well, what you're excited about with technology and and what it's going to enable in the future for the betterment of the world. Yeah, I, I think, Overall, I'm pretty interested in a couple of concepts. One is just continued interest in how mobile computing and the, the sort of intersection with the internet is just making it so easy for folks to have access to information and to learn. I mean, that's, the, that's sort of like an overall summary for what the internet's done for the world, but um, it's just getting easier and easier, right? Like as an example, um, you know, I completely, live by the gig, econ- gig economy right now. Like, I, I don't think I've been to a supermarket in since like March or February or something like that, right? Like I completely get my groceries delivered. And it's, it's just like, that's such a radical idea. I mean, technology is essentially completely changing how I get food, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can order, you know, food delivery from gig economy apps or, you know, I don't have to go to the grocery store. And it's just, it's completely changed my lifestyle. And so, if I were to sort of summarize it, I think it's just technology in mobile computers can continue, continue to change the way people lead their lives, mm. whether it's who they marry or what food they eat, how they eat, how you find a place to live. Um, everything is completely changing in front of us. And unless you, unless you sort of stop and take a step back and think about how quickly it's happening, you, you sort of, you can forget or lose perspective. And I'm excited to see how it changes over the next five to 10 years, because my life is completely different than it was say even five years ago, um, due to the advent of what we can do with high-speed networks and mobile computing and cloud computing, it's just, it's totally different, right? I don't have to leave my house. Um, you know, I don't have to own a car. Like it's, it's just, and how's it gonna change over time? And you're already starting to see it a little bit with some of these translation apps, for example, mm-hmm. right? There's things that have been shown where you can do real-time video conferencing the way we can, and we can speak two different languages and you can in, in real time using heavy duty GPUs translate the content in real time. Right. I mean, can you imagine talking to somebody in a completely different continent or country that doesn't speak, speak a lick of English, but you can talk to them like that, that, that kind of life changing stuff is, you know, just right around the corner. And, um, I'm really excited to be part of it. Yeah, definitely. Especially with 5g as well. And, uh, everything that's going to enable, um, and would love to be able to speak to, you know, friends around the world pretty instantly on video translated. Um, so as we wrap up, uh, one more shout out if you're up for it. Are there any nonprofits that you're big on? Um, we're big on philanthropy here and, and giving back. And so is there anyone that comes to mind that you want to give a shout out to that, uh, that you're a fan of? Oh, man, I'll have, to, I'll have to keep it close to home, I guess. Uh, my wife um, runs a non, is, is part of a nonprofit called All Raise. 
um, that helps invest in female founders and mentors in technology. So it helps female entrepreneurs start companies and raise capital. And it's, it's a really great organization to, to help what I think has historically been a sort of underrepresented segment or demographic in, in high tech. And um, I'm really proud to even have a small sliver of remote association with it through my wife. And um, I, I highly recommend folks take a look at or, or donate to the organization or, or donate time or funds in any way they can. Um, but I believe their URL is allraise.org if I'm, if I'm not wrong. And um, yep, definitely, definitely check that out. Awesome. Love it. Uh, great shout out and especially empowering women and the leaders these days. Um, so all about that. And so final question or really just closing thoughts from you is just some closing wisdom you might share with viewers, um, a little bit of inspiration, you know, what's been on your mind lately or, or just some inspiration you want to leave with people. Um, yeah, you know, I'll just, I did an intern talk at, at Splunk recently and they sort of asked me, hey, what's your best piece of advice that you would have for someone just um, starting out from school? And maybe I'll share that, which was, I think um, right now it's very easy for folks to want to um, think about having to hit a home run in high tech and, you know, start a company tomorrow and then sell it for like a billion dollars a week later. Um, you know, one thing I, I think about it a, li a little bit differently. I mean, that's amazing if you can do it. But tech is so broad and so exciting and there's so many things you can learn. The advice that I give to them is, you know, don't force yourself to have to hit a home run in your first at bat. Spend the time to invest in yourself and be broad and try to master as many things as you can and be really, um, try to become like a Swiss army knife in tech if you can. Like don't just pigeon your whole, yourself into mobile or say, hey, I'm the badass database admin or what have you really start to understand everything as much as you can. So you can start to reason about technology holistically end to end all the way from say a mobile app to containers or databases in the back end, and, and, and be a broad engineer that could say, write an Uber app all the way, you know, from the mobile piece through the, to the web services, to the back end, and, and just be amazing at all of that. And I think that really sets you up to have a, a really great career in, in tech, um, either founding your own company or becoming, you know, a principal engineer or an architect in a company. Um, and, and don't, don't limit yourself. Love that advice. Love that advice. And um, just about, you know, well-rounded development. And Tim, you have a super well-rounded story. So thanks for so much uh, joining, sharing your story, sharing some advice and appreciate it. All the best um, with what you have going on. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jack. Thanks for having me on. All righty. Have a good one. All right. Big thank you to Tim for joining and to all of you for viewing. I'd like to express my gratitude by actually ending in a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and uh, for keeping us humble. Thank you for who you are, such a good, loving God. And uh, I pray blessings of your peace over people listening right now, anyone who's struggling through tough times uh, around our country and around the world. Uh, God, may you bring your comfort and peace and a special blessing over all rays, enabling and empowering women. We thank you, God, for leading us and being such a, a good, loving father. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and much love. Thank you.